0: Welcome to another episode of the Talks at Google Podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Henry, bringing you this episode with platinum recording artist and one of my personal heroes, Ben Folds. Talks at Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode of this podcast is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash Talks at Google. Ben Folds is an American singer, songwriter, and record producer from 1995 to 2000. Folds was the frontman and pianist to the alternative rock band Ben Folds 5. He has also collaborated with musicians such as William Shatner, Regina specter and Weird Al Yankovic, and undertaken experimental songwriting projects with authors such as Nick Hornby and Neil Gaiman. In addition to contributing music to the soundtracks of the animated films Over the Hedge and Hoodwinked, Folds produced Amanda Palmer's first solo album and was a judge on the NBC a cappella singing contest, The Sing Off from 2009 to 2013. He's currently employed as the first-ever artistic advisor to the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. I also invite you to find out more about his music and photography at binfolds.com. In conversation with Googler Alan Seals, here is Ben Folds, an intimate history of his career. <laughs>
1: There you go. good to be. here. Yeah. Welcome to Google. Good to be here. Are you enjoying your your Diet Cokes and yeah. and yeah. snacks from our micro kitchens? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, it's a good good snack and a good cook.
1: Yeah. <laughs> born born in North Carolina in Winston Salem. Um, I want to kind of start uh, at the beginning of of your your life mm. before we get to the career to talk about a little bit of who you are mm. as a person. Um, so you started playing piano at age nine. How did you? What did? When did you walk up to a piano and say, "This is what I want to do"? Well,
2: I'd sort of done that before. Um, before I had a piano, I was interested in it. Like I, uh, there were there was you know one at school, and every once in a while I got to play on that. I had a friend who, um, who uh, was, his mother was a, a piano teacher, and she was trying to get him to uh, learn Silent Night on the piano for Christmas, and um, I you know, maybe it was seven or eight, I I, I picked it out uh, by ear in the living room and was playing it. and she came running in very excited that her son had finally learned that song. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she told my mother, you know,
1: he, he probably needs to play. He seems to be good at this.
2: So you've always had kind of
1: a, a natural gift for piano or just music in general?
2: Um, I loved music. When I was uh, two years old, I, I sat on the floor and listened to uh, 45's uh, records, uh up to eight hours a day—that's a lot for two-year-old. Uh, it prompted my um, grandmother to uh, spring for a child psychologist, <laughs> who confirmed that I was slow. <laughs> I'm glad they got a laugh.
1: Yes. Uh, did you? Was that serious? You actually saw somebody?
2: Yeah. Really? Mm. <laughs> wow. Yep, yep. Yep. He he he, he thought. Um, I guess it was, you know, that square pegs and round holes stuff. I don't know what he did. It was play therapy probably. And he said I should be held back in school. Um, my, My mother doubled down in the opposite direction and put me in early.
1: Really, mm. and obviously, it, it worked. It seems to have worked, yeah. Yes, and as as a two year old, you didn't let it hold you back.
2: No, but I just was, I you know, I was obsessed with uh, uh, with records. I mean, that's an actual obsession, like you know, eight hours a day for for a kid. And uh, I'm I'm right now. I'm finishing up my memoirs, and uh, and uh, yeah, I I I was spending some time uh, sort of remembering that and wondering if that I can remember so much from when I was two years old doesn't have to do, you know, it's, possibly, it's possible it has to do with um, stimulation of the brain from music. Because, mm-hmm. you know, my parents will say, uh, oh, you couldn't be remembering, you know, you couldn't remember two years old. But well, I'll tell them the the house plan of the place that we lived in until we moved once a year. So at any year I can I can tell them where all the rooms were you know for like if I'm two years old I can remember where they put the Christmas tree and where the lights were and the room addition and where they had stuff stored is uh I can remember it it's good and I'm not that damn smart it's just that I I remember really early
1: wow yeah that if, if what you're obsessed with as a two year old is any indication of what my kids will be, they're going to be barnard animals or, or marbles, yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, but North Carolina, so I got to get them into music. That's the, yeah, just that's the lesson here. from Marbles this conversation. fit in the mouth, records don't. You might stop. Oh, with that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> North Carolina itself isn't exactly known for producing a steady stream of mainstream artists. Mm. Uh, how did you navigate the North Carolina scene and kind of get into the mainstream culture?
2: When you say that, do you mean that, um, that, that most of the artists there are, are known to be um, out, out of the mainstream or that it's just not that they play music? I, what's the
1: That they're not, well, it's a lot of bluegrass. It's a lot right, of country. Right. It's not, well, I guess country is more mainstream, but like your alternative, your rock, uh, mm-hmm. the genres that you're known for are not, are not popular, not common in North Carolina. Right.
2: Um, well, I think uh, there was a real healthy, uh, when I was a kid, there was a real healthy uh, sort of original band scene. Uh, there was a group called the DBS that uh, went to my school a little bit, a couple years earlier, and they were all sort of tied in with uh, R.E.M. and Mitch Easter, uh, and um, great great they made one well they made a few records but they made one record that that uh top new york times like new record list and they were from winston-salem and uh and I, that that was really inspiring to me to see that they could actually get out you know uh, get out of town i think the thing about living anywhere unless you live in new york or, or la is that it seems like uh everything you know all, all the famous stuff comes from somewhere else like mm-hmm. you don't think of it coming from there but um i mean uh, Ryan Adams, who we were talking about, and he was from um, uh, Raleigh, and um, and uh, just within a few blocks of my house, it was a band called the Squirrel and the Zippers, and they yes. were they were pretty big. And then there was a band called the Archers of Loaf, and they sold uh, a lot of records and was one of Kurt Cobain's fam- uh, favorite. There was a lot of a lot of original bands that were very stubborn. You know, they they weren't um, they weren't um, out to be mainstream. It was more sort of left of center.
1: So walk me then through where you went uh, to form Ben Folds Five. Yeah, I had been in New York, uh,
2: and um, it was tough up here for me because I play piano. Like, my options were to play uh, places like The Better End, uh, which is great, has a piano, but it's not the most creative, you know, it's not where, where you would go to really hear something new that was good um (laughs) and and you know i i I broke uh, i met my manager uh uh, by breaking a piano string uh, at the bitter end um and uh, i couldn't afford to pay for it and uh and he took care of it for me and then the next night i played a a chenay i don't know if anyone remembers cafe chenay but that didn't have a piano and so i had to play an electric one i always sucked on electric piano so he told me, you suck tonight. And I was like, great. Would you like to be my manager? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you also play drums and
1: guitar, right?
2: I mean, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, play drums, yeah. guitar. I started on the drums. I, I started thinking that I was going to be a um, uh, like a, a percussionist in an orchestra, a timpani, mm-hmm. uh, timidist, or, or a battery percussionist. I thought that was what I was going to do um, with my life. and. Um, So I had plan B as a piano player, but I I had always written and made up my songs from a very young age. Before I was playing piano, I was making up songs. And so when I started playing piano, the piano promised to facilitate my ideas. It took a long time Mm because I had had to, you know, it was very frustrating having an idea that you know that you could play on the piano if you could only play it. So I had to learn how to
1: play the piano. So then you sucked in New York. Yeah. Or did didn't do well in New York. It was tough. Then. Yeah. I found it tough because the, the places I wanted to play, I had to get a
2: piano into, which is obviously not something you just carry around New York, you know. So when i when I met this guy who became my manager, we just sat down and we were like, you know, why don't I just go back to North Carolina where I will have some space uh, and can put my piano in a house and mm-hmm. practice. And so uh that's and then when I moved back uh, I met uh, Robert and Darren, who were the other two guys from Benfold's Five. We met within a month, and we had a record out within a year. Uh, we just moved really quickly. So once I got there, things became very easy. I, I think in New York, it was always going to take a year
1: for me to figure out how to, you know, do anything, like just get somewhere. Right. Uh, and when you met when you met the other two guys. Uh, I guess, how did the collaboration work? How did, were you writing all the songs and they were adding music I'd to it? Written, I'd written everything that we put on the first record. Um, and
2: I'd had that sort of in my back pocket for maybe up to 10 years. Uh, some, some of the songs on the first record I wrote when I was 18, 19 years old. And, um, and I, you know, I was waiting tables over most of my 20s. And um, so when we got together, we, at first we were gonna just like do all new stuff. And then I think it just became obvious that a lot of these songs I'd been sitting on for 10 years were kind of hard to beat quickly. Mm-hmm. So the first album is all, like it usually is, it's all the, al- all the songs that you had since you were, uh, since the beginning. And then the second album, Whatever, Never, Amen, all had to be basically new stuff. So then that was like, you know, that, that started a th- terrible habit of mine of writing in the studio.
1: And it's a terrible habit. And you can pose, but you can pose uh, a lot of songs live during your concerts. Yeah. Do you have a, a, a track record of having um, things that you've done in the concerts make it make their way back onto recorded records?
2: I have a couple yeah. times. Um, there, there are a couple of notable ones uh, that are really close. Um, a, a song called Cologne um, mm-hmm. was... Uh, Originally, uh, freestyled on stage in Cologne as "Rock This Bitch" in Cologne, and it turned out to be kind of a sad, uh, soft song. It it, it came about because I was on drugs. Um, I I was uh, I had had pneumonia and I was uh, taking a lot of uh, these codeine drops, and uh, I I didn't think they were doing anything. So the doctor said, you know, it takes six codeine drops and you'll stop coughing, and it didn't really work. So the next night in. Cologne, I took, like, 20. <laughs> and so I was, I was trying to freestyle a song, and all I could do was laugh. I could nothing. It was terrible. It was, like, total waste of everyone's time and money. And uh, after about five minutes, and you can find this on YouTube if you're really bored, but the first, you know, three, five minutes is, is terrible. And then all of a sudden, something hit me, and I just, it becomes this song Cologne, and it's about 75% there freestyled like almost everything that's on the record the chorus is a little different because mm-hmm. uh, I didn't want to say rock this bitch and Cologne for the chorus but, um, <laughs> and there's another one called Effington which was I'd say I don't know how do you quantify this things 80% uh, uh, composed uh, freestyled um, and um, you, you, usually, usually they're not that tidy you know and I'll take an idea that came about um, at a show I often use that because I think that you're in a different headspace to sort of freestyle in front of an audience. You know, mm-hmm. usually if I've been playing for an hour, feel comfortable with the audience, and that's the point that I do it. That's a different headspace than sitting by yourself um, uh, and and writing. So I, I've found a lot of good stuff has come that way. But recently, I was, I was thinking about this because there was a comedian in um, the UK. I guess he's famous. He had shit ton of followers, and. Uh, he accused me of ripping off one of my songs. Uh, and all these people were piling on. This is a couple of years ago. And uh, and the person they said that I'd ripped off I'd never heard of. So I went and listened to this person that I'd, I'd ripped off. And um, I realized that the song that I had supposedly ripped off uh, was from way later than, the, than when I had come up with it on stage. So I just went to YouTube. And I found when I freestyled it. And I sent it to this comedian. I was like, look, this is from 2011. I made most of this up on stage. So stop. <laughs> and he's like, oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so so you, you were many years with with Ben Folds 5. And then uh, can you talk about why you guys decided to go separate ways? Is that something you want to talk about?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it was because, um, as I described, we got together um, really quickly. Uh, it was a mercenary thing. We, I wanted to start a band. These are the first two guys I met. Uh, I didn't even hear them play when I committed to, to playing a band really? with them. I was just in that space. I was like, I gotta get it done. I gotta get it done. They looked like rock stars. I heard they were pretty good. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we didn't have, necessarily all that much in common so it was six years of being um, you know in each other's back pockets financially uh, you know you're living in a bus two inches from the other guy we got along fine but we just didn't have all that much in common and so I think after our third album um, you know although it wasn't a great commercial success it was also not a great (laughs) uh, critical success usually you get one of the two we didn't manage one of them uh and it just looked like yeah okay well this is probably you know we should probably sell while stocks are Mm. not as low as they will get and so we just called it um i think we we it was three emails and we were done and i didn't expect it but one day darren wrote and said i don't think i want to do it anymore and then uh, robert said well if he doesn't want to do any more then i don't want to and i was like okay well i guess i don't want to do it anymore so then, I took all my songs, which uh, which were meant for uh, the band, uh, t- uh, did them myself. Uh, Rock and
1: Suburbs, and so Rock and the Suburbs actually was released on 9/11. That's right. Which I do you think was it the was it the album was it the songs that you think um, were responsible for it not doing well commercially, or was it all tied to the 9/11 happenstance? Because Rock and the Suburbs, by the way, is one of my all-time favorite albums. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Um, well, it, it, it was a it didn't it didn't do well over its first year, but it had a, it had an interesting way of hanging on for a long time and, it, and, um, and, and so it's become kind of one of my, you know, if if I had to run out of a burning building with you know two albums to, to my name, it would have to be Rock in the Suburbs and the band's first album. I don't think I could have a career without either one of those. You know, like those mm-hmm. are necessary for me to um, to exist. I think, um, but I don't know. I mean, a lot of it was the release. I mean, a- already when you go solo from from a band, you're you're at a. It's not an easy place. You know, it's assumed um, that you're not going to do well. I
1: think. Usually. Well, people. I feel like people want soloists to fail when they leave the band because they'd rather have the band.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I've always been like that too. So I knew that when I when I was when I put the album, I was like, okay, I've <laughs> had <at> it. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, and also you feel like you know, I made that record when I was thirty three. I felt like i had aged out of the music business. I don't know why I thought that was aged out at thirty three because. Uh, I'm older than that now, and I'm okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think too. Um, it was you know the other thing was at the end of at the end of each um, decade um, there is a there is a obvious sort of changing of the rock and roll guard. Like everyone, you know, all all the hairy chest screaming guys in the '70s were out as of the '80s, and mm-hmm. all the all the uh, you know the the sort of um, uh, new wave artists were out of the nineties and the grungers were out at you know, when the aughts came. It's just always so I and, and when you put out a record like two thousand and one and you're a nineties band, it's, you know, it's not it's uphill right. from there. But I but I think what's really been good for me is just doing different things. Like I I, I, I at that point I didn't try to just you know, just do um Solo records. I
1: tried to do other things. You know. Well, that's what I was going to get into. It, it's it's a good segue. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, uh, I had a feeling. that that you've done you've done tons of collaborations. Yeah. You've collaborations with other artists, but also uh, you're crossing genre boundaries all the time. Often with these collaborations, mm-hmm. like you've you've helped. William Shatner, producer, record. Mm. Um, You've worked with Weird Al, Amanda Palmer, Sarah Bareilles, which of course has done her own Broadway to pop crossover. Um, Cake, and of course, Nick Hornby. Um, how do you how do you choose what you want to work on, and who you want to work on it with? Well, it's usually it's the who first, and and
2: it's usually circumstantial. You know, like like I'll, like uh, um, Weird Al, uh, he was buying frozen pizzas at the uh, it's true uh, at the Grocery store, and uh, we were standing next to each other in line, and he's like, "Oh, I'm a fan of your music," and uh, I imagine that, like Weird Al Ben, yeah, weird? yeah, weird <laughs> Ben, weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just that weird. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and 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 I think that 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 is like I, I like the personal first because, you know, like with William Shatner, um, you know, I, I, I was I was interested in him. And and what what did we really know about William Shatner? Bef- uh, you know, at that point, he, he's an actor and he's he's odd. You know, so you don't really know who who you're who you're talking to. And and um, I thought an album of you know 75 year old man who everyone knows who he is, but don't really know him, gives him a chance to tell a story. And a musical story is a compelling story if it's done well. And uh, and and I, I think. You know, Shatner is a great recording artist. He was one of my favorite. Mu- he's not a musician, but he's one of my favorites to ever work with, because he's um, he's so brave uh, uh, about every take. It's always different, and um, yeah, I really enjoyed working with him.
1: Do you have another favorite? I was going to ask who your favorite was, but yeah, if he's one of them. Do you? Have- he's
2: certainly one of them. Yeah. I mean, they're. They're all my favorites.
1: Because
2: <laughs> you always pull something really interesting. I mean, one, one thing I think that all artists have in common, are a few things, one is that I think we're all hacks. You know, and it's really great to see, uh, to see your favorites hacking around in the darkness. They don't seem to know what they're doing. Um, and that's a wonderful thing to see because if you're collaborating with someone who's not famous, it's good to remember that they may have a good idea. Um, they seem like bad ideas when they come out at first. You know, I noticed that about Joe Jackson, who was uh, one of my favorites when I was growing up. And wor- working with him, I was like, well, that's, that's an abysmal idea. That's terrible. And then I thought, you know, I like everything he does. Maybe there's something to this. But when you allow the idea to see the light of day, mm-hmm. and I think I learned from, from collaboration
1: that way. <laughs> who, who do you think that you've worked with, that work with that's influenced you the most as a solo artist?
2: Well, I certainly learned from watching uh, uh, Shatner uh, uh, do every take completely different. That That's really something that, that we all need to learn from. If, you, if you've already done the past one way, it, it, really you don't need to do that again. And I think that that's really uh, interesting. Um, you know, working with Sarah uh, Bareilles is inspiring and, uh, and slightly depressing because um, she – nails everything absolutely perfectly on the first pass. Um, She's the most technically proficient performer I've ever worked with and that there's nothing that you want more out of it than what you hear on the first pass in any way. And that made me really, really have to work hard because if I don't find something wrong, I was producing her record, if I didn't find anything wrong, uh, then I got skewered. You know, it's like, so I, I, I got really careful about it. Like, she'd do a pass. I'd be reading the lyrics and I'd circle stuff. It's like slightly flat, not really, but okay, slightly flat. Okay, so she'd make it some kind of ma- mouth smacking noise. You go into the salad bar here and a couple of things. <laughs> and then when she'd come out, I'd, I'd say, Here are your problems. And I'd listen and go, Phew. She's like relieved. I'm glad someone's listening with a critical ear. And then I'd say, And we're keeping the pass because it's beautiful. <laughs> But that's the only way you could, that's the only way someone that good you can. And I've played with plenty of classical musicians and all all sorts of musicians, but she's just sort of a freak
1: that way. Freaking an amazingly talented. And and she's also talented. talented. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so you perform solo with bands. You obviously got a love for orchestras and a cappella music. Do you have a, a style? Obviously, you're known for the rock, but do you have a style that if you could just. Live forever. You have water over there somewhere. No,
2: we're just, I was telling that was obvious.
1: Yeah, if you had a style that you could do forever and just make unlimited money, which one would it be out of everything that you've done?
2: Well, I'm still on the unlimited money part. I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I wouldn't. I don't have a favorite anything. I don't have a favorite style. I, I I, I don't I don't rage against style. I mean, like I, I think it's cool because when I go to buy a record, I kinda like to know if it's a country record or jazz or like I, I don't I'm not one of those artists is like I can't be defined. But but I do think that 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 not worrying about that and residing somewhere between them all is a nice place. So I, I like I like being able to not worry, I mean, those are that's very low resolution creativity. if you're thinking about you've got five styles and and there's so much that falls between the crack of all mm-hmm. of those. If you're just gonna pick those five points and live inside it, I'm not sure how how that could happen. I, I made a, a a little single recently uh, for The Washington Post of all projects. I thought it was interesting because they w- wanted me to. Uh, uh, be a reporter as a songwriter, which I thought was fascinating. I liked the idea of doing that. And uh, w- what wasn't noticed, which I thought was kind of interesting about the song, is I felt like it was resoundingly, uh, uh, it resided in like folk music. And no one said, most of the time I, I make something that, that I feel like is in a style, people will comment. And I felt, well, that either means that I can do whatever style I feel like and no one even notices it anymore. Or... Or I don't know what, but I thought it was an interesting thing because I expected—I mean, as like I had a tap dancer being the drummer, it had fiddle and banjo in it, and I would have thought that would have been a notable, like you know, the peanut gallery had been like, "Oh, now he's going to make country records," but no one said a thing. so hmm.
1: Maybe well, I can do what I want now. I don't know. For your next album, then I'll plant the idea to uh, write the song as an engineer. Yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. a bad idea. Yeah. Right. It's, you can call it ones and zeros. There yeah. you go. There's your title. That's pretty good. Um, in 2009, you were a judge on the sing-off, um, and you also released Ben Folds Presents Acapella. Do you have a, a special place for acapella music?
2: I was really, I mean, still am interested in it, but I, my interest in acapella was, you know, um, kind of self-centered because uh, they were, uh, so many university acapella groups were covering my music. And when I started, you know, a little bit before Ben Fold's five, my my ambition was to be a songwriter that other people covered. Mm-hmm. That's what I want that's what I thought I would do. And um, Bette Midler covered uh, one of my songs and then no one else did. And, uh, <laughs> and that's not bad. I mean Yellow Card did. So Bette Midler and Yellow Card. That's <laughs> that that has been the extent. And hundreds and hundreds of a cappella groups from uh, from universities. So um I just wanted to, um, you know, visit these a cappella groups, bring some microphones and a sound engineer, and record it. Uh, And that's where the album came from, Mm -hmm. the university uh, a cappella record. Uh, When I was a kid, I really loved uh, National Geographic field recordings. And this was molded, in. I tried to make it like that. Mm -hmm. Because they were obviously just a couple of mics, and they were in the you know uh they they were in the uh natural habitat of the natives which is what I wanted to do with these college kids I wanted to record it in their natural habitat which would have been like you know the lunchroom mm-hmm. or or you know like a there was a synagogue on campus that we recorded one in and it sounded really great I I didn't mind about external noise and I didn't mind about it sounding like a a, a record oddly enough there was a there was an a cappella scene it turns out and of uh like People who were really into acapella recordings and they didn't like what i did really um yeah because it was um it wasn't perfect uh, they, they they were cultivating kind of a um uh, a style uh that involved perfection uh which which had all the singers like doubled and tripled and auto-tuned within an inch of their lives and uh they were imitating instruments it's like, but what I love about the voice is it sounds like the voice. Like That's what's interesting about it. So that's where I went with that. Um, and uh, my interest in that led to being recruited for NBC's sing-off show. Mm-hmm. So those two were kind of connected in a way.
1: Right. Did you enjoy that? Do you, do you enjoy being on TV like that? Or is that like, I don't want to be on, on the big screens? I. It was interesting because it's it's so
2: cheesy. and. Um, <laughs> But so many people love it. But that's what I was gonna say. Like, I actually kind of embraced that. Like, because I had to ask myself, like, because I was trying to decide whether I was gonna accept this or not. Um, And um, at the end of the day, listening to great music and commenting on it with the hopes to possibly improve it or add perspective for the people who performed it. didn't seem cheesy at all Mm -hmm. you know and the format itself you know is a formula and and so I was uh, judging it from um, from that perspective and I was hard on it but once I got in it you know I I I really did enjoy it you know you have a very short period of time uh, a window with which to uh, hear precisely what's going on with the entire group like the whole rhythm section it's not like you know one of the you know, like American Idol or something, where they're not judging the bed, the, the, the arrangement, they're just judging whether the singer, you know, brought it or not. And, uh, and in this case, I got to really listen and do what I feel like is one of the things I'm best at, which is listening to a, a, a performance and having some clarity uh, as to what might be the next step. Because people who perform special on television, they don't know what they've just done. No idea, they feel like they've just gone backwards through a car wash with a bag over their head. They have no idea where they are. And they come out and they're like, it seemed like two seconds and it was two and a half minutes and they're like, tonight, the hell has happened? You know, (laughs) to have someone in front of you say, I know you were wondering where you were sliding. You know, your tenor wasn't flat, your bassist was sharp, and so then you started moving that way. You got nervous, and these things, the legs got pulled out from underneath it, and over the course of two and a half minutes, you rushed. So just telling the basics that are really, really uh, uh, obvious to, uh, uh, you know, the obstacles to communicating uh, the songs were really interesting to me, and I really enjoyed doing it. Uh, it's really hard, too, because you have two other judges, and they're noticing things. Mm-hmm and you never know what order you're gonna get chosen in. So, you know, those to the show would say the two others first, and they'd say everything that I was gonna say, you know, so then i just have to make up some stupid joke and move on, but if it got to me first, then I got I got to, you know, I had uh, a wider field of what to say. But right. no, I enjoyed it, I, I, I thought it was good. it lasted, I think I did it for four seasons, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then they replaced me on the last one, and then I think they threw the set away, and that was that.
1: So, talking about education as well, uh, you're outspoken champion for, for arts education and music therapy funding um, in, our, in the nation's public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, 2016, you were the, the only one to hold the distinction to appear in both national political conventions. Yep. Advocating for arts education. How did that happen?
2: Well, um, you know, the Americans for the Arts, who uh, I work with a lot, um, had a slot on both. And um, said, it's kind of weird, but if you want to do both, that might be a good idea. And I thought it was a good idea. Uh, and in fact, I learned a lot that way. I mean, my, my sort of, um, you know, my, my, my buddy for the day was uh, Mike Huckabee at the, uh, uh, at the Republican National Convention. And I found him to be a really, very eloquently spoken about um, uh, arts funding. Hmm. Um Outside of that, I don't know, but for, <laughs> for that he's very good at, it. and it made me realize it kind of it kind of drove home that as a musician, if I'm going to go and sit uh, across uh, from you know uh, senators and congressmen and try to uh, convince them to uh, to keep public uh, schools uh, you know arts education healthy in public schools and, and arts funding in general. Um, it's best if I also can come from uh, the uh, economic perspective. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's actually kind of more interesting in a way. I mean, everyone knows, everyone likes art. You know, every, every senator's son and daughter is going to go to a school somewhere that has good music and good art. They're going to make sure that they have access to it. So you don't have to convince them of the importance of it. What You're trying to convince them is the importance of investing in it and the importance of the symbolism of having invested in it.
1: Right. Um, so, if anybody has questions for Ben, please start lining up in the mic at the at the mics there. Whoa. <laughs> great. Um, I want to go back real quick. Tell us about what you're doing with the Kennedy Center in DC.
2: My main project. Uh, well, um, they, they they call me the artistic advisor, which was nice. I got a three-year first ever. I first ever. Yeah. Um, they, they they made the position up for me. It's kind of cool. Um, I do a lot of stuff, but my main project that I sort of could bit off, bite off what, what, what I wanted uh, uh, is a series hoping to improve, not hoping, improving, uh, Pops concerts. Because um, uh, symphony orchestras have to bring in new audiences, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of ways you can do it. One of the models has been the Pops concert, where they bring in... Um, Uh, you know a rock musician or a pop musician and the orchestra plays within there's they're they're riddled with problems uh and they're systemic they're stubborn they're stubborn embedded easy answer uh sort of solutions they've got going and they're uh, uh they're not getting anywhere and so what i've aim to do is almost kind of create, uh, you know, I have an experiment, I have the, a group that's willing to experiment, I've got their budget and I've got all my rowdy rock friends like Sarah so who I can bring mm-hmm. in and we can do pop shows the way that I think they should be done and sort of creating a manifesto is how, how you do that because um, combining the two is, is, a, a, is a technical nightmare. It's, uh, it, it lies over a cultural fault line that we don't think of. Uh, the, the pop world and the orchestra world, even in terms of their contracts and their language, are almost just, they're just raring for a fight. Like they really don't get along. And uh, so I felt like with there, there are enough cultural divides uh, uh, these days without having one be in music. So maybe maybe my job could be to sew those things together and I think we've done a lot of really good stuff. Uh, the shows are, are are working.
1: Yeah, they're they're on YouTube. I've won, I watched a few and I also watched a clip of you composing uh, a full orchestral piece in under 10 minutes. Yeah. Which li- live just like he rocks this bitch in his concerts, he's he rocked the uh, the orchestra rocked the bitch of the orchestra, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. What you read um you read something from the program about like, emergency exits are to be used in case of fire only, or whatever it was, or the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was incredible. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do a question here. Sure.
2: Uh, hi. Um, I, I really, really like your music. Thank you. Uh, but your lyrics... Um, ...are terrible. <laughs> I, so, that's actually what I'm gonna ask. I, I don't think they're terrible, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I wonder if they are you, always, and or, or when they're not. and. And when they are about you and your life, is it true? Mm. It's either true, or sometimes it's not true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next um, question.
2: And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's always something that I'm interested in. Uh, I, I I think when it comes to to to, to lyrics, um, you know, the the things that that we notice, that are observations, and when they're observations, I feel like if you follow those really. Uh, uh faithfully to uh when they occur to you uh, a picture forms that's an it is a picture of you but uh but you know if if an event occurs and i'm going to like like i just did with the washington post piece if, if something happens and i'm going to uh relay that in song um your problem is is that you know just your uh, the the real estate for your the syllables involved is really limited, you know. Like, like you've got three minutes, and you're expected to uh, to rhyme, and you're expected for it to be iambic pentameter sometimes. And the cadences is difficult, so you have to cheat with the lyric, you know. Um, you have to do things that that put that put the listener in that place. So, uh, I have a song about my father dying; he's still alive, uh, uh, but the song isn't necessarily about that. Uh, but it's about the feeling of that, and it needed to sound literal for me to be able to extract the, the abstract uh, uh, part of it. So all that to say there's always something of me in it. There's always something that that I'm very interested in or want to say. Probably it is about myself, but often I'll make up a complete uh, false scenario in order to get it across. Sure. One thing I, I would say is, is that I think it's it's a fascinating uh, uh, and, and really interesting um, opportunity for a, a rock lyricist, especially in the US. Uh, our culture here, uh, we kind of expect our writers, our rock writers, to be singing the truth. you know if 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 Bruce Springsteen says something about, starting his car, breaking up with his girlfriend, going to the Badlands, whatever. You kind of expect there's some truth in it, you know? But if David Bowie sings about going to Mars, we can guess that that's probably not true. And, you know, the the thing is is that uh, in America, we like our songwriters to be, like, have credibility to what it is that they've said. And I love exploiting that by saying things that aren't true but sound like they could be true. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, question over here.
1: Uh, hey, thank you so much for coming today. Um, yeah. My name is actually also Ben, so I've always felt a special connection. Um,
2: yeah. <laughs> is it spelled so, the same way?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's that saying that um, good artists borrow and great artists steal. And there's a lot of musicians... I steal all the time. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of musicians that get accused of theft or ripoffs, like mm. even like Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Um, do you think there's a concrete distinction between what constitutes a rip-off what constitutes a remix and what is truly original work?
2: Well, there are certainly a lot of musicologists that, um, you know, the guys that are brought in to, you know, to, to these um, lawsuits that, that have parameters about it. And um, the risk of sounding kind of rude, because I don't mean it like that, but I literally don't care. Uh, because I've had people rip me off before, and i can I can like really close and I can safely say i I just was flattered that was all in one case, it was so close where they had kept the key, they had kept some of the lyrics they had changed certain important parts and kept other really distinct things uh this fellow was up for um a Grammy in Brazil for Record of the Year. I've never won anything like that before, so uh, out of jealousy, I might have been inclined to sue this guy like a lot of people said I should. Um, But all I could think was, one, I was really flattered, and secondly, I kind of felt bad for him that he didn't have any better ideas. (laughs) Um, Because, uh, you know, I I think it is more fun to steal from a lot of things and try to get something that's personal across that strikes me as kind of empty and sad that you do that, um, but really I don't mind. I really don't mind. I was listening to some blues music the other day, and it was one of those, you know, it was like a kind of a, a, a Pandora-style station of some kind. It was just playing. I guess it was in a, a on satellite radio, and I don't know. i come sitting there waiting for my latte, and I must have heard three songs that started with "Woke up this morning." <laughs> awesome. Like, like, why is one thing? Uh, you know, almost like all oh, that you have to say. You woke up this morning, and this, and this uh, same chord, same melody, and everything. And I enjoy it. I think it's totally fine. Uh, people can rip off. I mean, look, my lawyer wouldn't agree with me, but I, <laughs> I don't mind for myself. And, and I just think it's about expressing yourself. And if expressing yourself uniquely, oddly for some reason, would be copying someone note for note and changing one note, and that particular note said something really solid. I'm down. I'm fine. I, I don't like this ownership stuff, even though the ownership stuff obviously affects my livelihood, you know, so it's, it's hard for me to uh, to reconcile the two. But no, I don't mind. Like, I, I, I don't see uh, any distinctions. I think ripping off, borrowing, it's all the same. It's all music. I'm fine with it. That's been something thank you, that you so I, much.
1: Thank you. Uh, something that, that I've always respected about you actually is is it's never come across to me as you've been doing things just for the money. It's because mm. you love the arts, you love music, you love helping and educating. So I thank up, you. Applaud you for that. And I also want your help with my song. I thought starts with I thought about the Navy. Oh yeah. yeah you've got so, it. Yeah, you've got, got it. it. <laughs> Put it in uh, A-Flat. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Question over here.
0: Um, so Lonely Avenue, your collaboration with Nick Hornby. I think is one of the maybe greatest concept albums of all time. Why, thank you. Um, brilliantly executed in that bridging an author and a musician into this thing. So A, is there going to be a Lonely Avenue 2? Mm. Like it seems like there's a whole lot of stories he wants to tell. And if there were another author you were going to collaborate with, who would that be?
2: Well, Neil Gaiman and I have been talking about making a record yes. for a long time. Yes, do that. Do,
0: leave now and do that. Um, <laughs>
2: It's good advice. (laughs) Um, It would sell. Yeah, (laughs) two bits. Um, Yeah, I mean, Neil's actually got a neat voice. And uh, Neil thought he might want to um, be a rock star when he first started out, when he was, uh, when he started out, you know, making comic books or graphic. You know, pieces and uh, and and that's where his heart was, and he thought he would he thought he would be a rock star, and he's his voice is I think outstanding. I love it. So I would just play piano for him. We'd write the songs together. Uh, I see him once a year, on average, and we we talk about how we're going to make the record and this has been about 10 of those now so it's been a, you know we really do need to do it thank you for for reminding me and <laughs> <laughs> in, encouraging me and uh and as far as uh Nick Hornby you know it's the same with us we 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 talk a lot about making another thing i think the the we felt like the next step would be to make a musical uh and and so you know we've we've been procrastinating on that for for some time, uh, but I think we're both scared of, of uh, probably have uh, unfortunately have the same fear of musicals, which is not good. You're glad, some one of the two has to has to be fearless. But we're we're really we're really both scared to death of the genre, both for for uh, how it could get out of control and be like that. You know, like some people have control over it. Like you know, I mean, there's there's nothing at all uh, 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 cheesy about Hamilton. It's just brilliant. And there are some some that can be big without the gestures, but I don't think Nick and I uh, uh, know enough about it. Anyway,
1: that's. You need a creative team. We need the, a creative team. The, the, yeah, I mean, that's actually one of my final questions for you was, what's next? And I know that Broadway has been on and off your radar for a long, for a time. Long, long time. Mm. And you were originally asked, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, sorry if I'm not, um, to write the whole score for for SpongeBob. Yeah. Spongebob Squarepants, the musical, which yeah. just recently closed, that would have been a completely different musical. I know. <laughs> Why did you not want to get into that at the time?
2: That was one of many I've been approached with. Um, it, it looked. I mean, I liked Spongebob and everything, and those guys are, they're, they're hip, like they get it. They, uh, I don't know. I mean, it has to really be something that resonates um, with me, that's all. I don't know, I don't know what it's gonna take. But something. I mean, it, the the whole the first, the first you know, I've had lunch meetings with them all since like nineteen ninety seven. You know, like like I've been thinking about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think the longer it goes and the more choices I get, the less likely it is I'll ever do it. Because if I just walked into town as a 20-something and I got any one of these offers I've ever gotten, I would put everything into making that musical. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, well, that, that guy's pretty good and that woman's pretty good and that was a great musical and I really like this one. I don't know anymore, I'm He's totally
1: get, confused. You gotta find a producer, a set of producers that's gonna like light a fire under your ass. How many people here wanna see Woo! him right Broadway, <laughs> yeah? Yeah, it's a couple people, yeah, a couple, a couple people. people. So we're running short on time, so uh, quick questions, yeah?
0: Yeah, I think it's a quick one.
1: Yeah. So, I'm a big fan of the show You're the Worst and oh, in particular awesome. your performance on the show. And I'm just curious like how you ended up there and <laughs> any sneak peeks into the next season? Are you alive?
2: <laughs> um has the has the last one that we filmed come out? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh I did another one. I'm sure they don't lie me saying that. I I I think it's towards the end of the season and um yeah, I still have a pulse in this one. And uh, we've also talked about, if it ever goes further, how close we can get to mean, like not being alive. Um, but for anyone that doesn't know, they, they just turn my, my character into some guy who moves straight from North Carolina, where I'm really from, to LA, is very jealous that Moby is recognized and I'm not. <laughs> And uh, and I'm just really impressed with mixed drinks. The weird thing about that is is it's just this sort of he creates this weird little world where um, for some reason they don't have mixed drinks in North Carolina. I'm like, <laughs> wow, you can get alcohol here, and I just drink everything. Yeah, this next one we went crazy. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: yeah, it's, cool. it's fun. Thanks for watching. I, I enjoy. It. I had I had a kid the other day. Um, uh, or, or ordering coffee and she goes are you the guy that plays Ben Folds on You're the Worst? <laughs> <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's the best way to get recognized. Yeah. Over
1: here. Another Ben over here. Hello. Um, are you Ben? I'm also a Ben. I think most of your fans are named Ben apparently. That's awesome. <laughs> I actually have two questions at a time. It's short. Maybe you can choose one or yeah. combine them into one mega answer of some sort. Um, one question is that you're one of the few people that's been on the radio for the last 30 years who knows lots of chords mm. and jazz chords and knows how to drive from reverse to a chorus. How do you feel that pop music has sort of left all these different chords mm. behind? And yeah. Most songs have one repeating chord progression. Number two, quite different. I always admired that when you sang, I felt like it was actually you, like your voice, mm. a part of your talking, but on notes. How did you find your singing voice?
2: Well, thanks. I think those are two like really neat uh, um, points about music in general. The, the singing thing is that I didn't think I was going to be a singer. I thought I would write songs for other people. So the bands that I played in to begin with, I made sure I was, you know, they had... Singers Like I always, you know, played in various bands and we'd always, one or two of the guys in the band would have great voices and they would do singery things. Like they sang loudly, they used vibrato, they did little riffs and stuff. And I, I thought that would be a good thing. You know, like I hear the song in my head and I think, oh, this if this has a great singer, then that'll be a great thing. Uh, but it, it wasn't that satisfying to hear them do that. I would make tapes for them where I would say, here's how the song goes. And the song uh, would just be, humbly speak singing would would be it and I think that the the recordings started showing themselves to be a lot more interesting than what we were coming up with and so I would try to get the singers to not sing you know to speak on pitches I also had a sort of a um Um, a little bit of a piano mentor for about a a year at school. I wasn't majoring in piano, but for one one year uh, before this guy retired, he gave me a full scholarship to just study piano with him. Uh, And most of the time, we didn't study piano. We just talked about music. And he asked me if I'd considered how great this guy he had just heard. He goes, I recently heard a young man by the name of Eric Clapton. Have you heard of him? I was like, yeah, I've heard of Eric Clapton. <laughs> and 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 he said, he seems to me to speak on pitches, which is interesting because it gives more weight to the things that he's singing about. Why would a man like that be singing at all unless he had something to say? And I thought that's kind of interesting and I think that those things I adopted those things. As far as chords go, I've always loved I've always loved Harmony and chords, and um, you know, it can be its own um, puzzle. You know, uh, the harmony and moving, moving, even moving key and they mean different things. And and um, I I think that rock and roll music has sort of like with the voice, uh, there can be an assumption that someone who just plays one chord must have more to say. And that by distracting yourself with, uh, you know, th- the frivolity of, you know, trying to drive yourself through different key centers and like you know, like you like you're you're making music into a Rubik's cube somehow or you're, you're, um, uh, uh, it's uh is too much ornamentation. There, I think there there is a uh, you know I think Bob Dylan might have had a lot to do with that. In, in that you hear someone like Dylan, who, the simplicity is part of what's great. He seems like he knows what he's talking about and he sounds wise and, uh, and and almost sounds like, I can't be bothered with all these chords and I've got something to say, I don't have time for this little hobby. And so by the time I came through, it was really not cool to play any more than a couple chords, a couple three chords and and this was during the grunge period and so that's all I needed to to, to, uh, to use more chords. That kind of pissed me off. I felt like, oh, I'm not allowed. All right, punk rock. Let's do this. So I would just really flex that part uh, because I thought it was pretty. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of subversion. And, in the, in the, you know, sort of in the, in the punk rock uh, 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 culture, playing piano in itself was offensive. So, you know, we would play. We, that's what we booked. We just booked punk rock kind of grunge clubs during most of the 90s. And I loved looking out and playing jazz chords and, like, You know,
1: it's like, that's nice. I enjoyed that. Cool. All right, yeah, final quick question. Then we get to some performances. All right. Um, So I was always interested in how just creative a lot of your music is. And I'm a hobbyist composer. Mm. And sometimes I get stuck into doing kind of similar song structures or similar chords. Mm. Um, So I was wondering if you had any tips um, that maybe you use to try and get yourself to be more creative. Trucks. Well,
2: I don't think that that I don't think that using the same structure over and over again uh, necessarily has to do anything with the creative part. I think you can be really, really creative within a really confined sort of structure. You could decide that you were the guy who was A, B, you know, guy and you were going to write it all in the same key and that would be fine. Um, if you feel like that's um, limiting you in some way, then I don't know. Um, I think it's important to remember that a song is there to communicate a thing and that um, it needn't do any more than that. I think That can free you up uh, a, a, a lot in form and key and everything because uh, the necessity to communicate the thing that you're coming up with means that that drives that drives things, you know, like, you, you might have a, a cadence where you thought you were going to end on, I don't know, if if, if you went, Ed gone. And that was really similar. It's just like, that's all it's, and then you get stuck in something. Way too long. There's something complicated about that, but the fact that you got stuck in it so long says something about how you're stuck in your life or your or your ideas or the way you felt about it or that you were scared to progress in your life or you were scared of what's next or you, you just, you know, you, you, were, you were high and you couldn't remember the next chord, who knows? <laughs> what it might be, but if always your, your um, um, that was really nothing to, have. I shouldn't even play that. Um, <laughs> I think that's the first thing is like always, how do you feel, how does this moment feel? How can you get that across? Uh, then, if you need more vocabulary, you'll find it. If you can't find the word, does it come out? Then, you know, that's when you reach for the thesaurus, you know? Like you think about those things. And, and I think the same is, is true of song structure. I always like to play with song structure, I, I like to question it too much. So while I'm writing, it's always a concern of mine that it doesn't have the same uh, structure. And a lot of times I find that the, the sort of, the effect that the song was having on me emotionally before I messed with it so much was there. And then I messed with it and tried to do something odd with it. So what I do then, because I, I'm not getting the chill at that point or I'm not hearing applause in the back of my head uh, at the end of the song, it's not doing the thing. Uh, I go back and I put it into a really predictable song structure, and I mean down to the point where I'm timing the uh, uh the the intro because uh, if 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 the intro is not falling between twelve and fifteen seconds, then uh then maybe I should lay out the song so that it falls at the right time for some reason we want to hear a, a chorus at one minute I don't know why, but sometimes you want to hear so there are certain songs that work so well because they start with the chorus um and like you know, I don't know something like "Dancing Queen" by, by Abba, which, is, that's a fun song because it starts with the bridge. <laughs> you can dance, you can, and it's like there, you like you like the party was just going, and then the, <laughs> the doors open and you were in it, you know. And there's something really compelling about that, you know. That's when you mess with form. Otherwise, I think the form can be your friend. That's as much as I. That's my whole upload on form there.
1: That's so, great. Yeah. Thanks. So yeah, well we're out of time, we'll wrap it up and then give us a couple songs. But when is your book coming out, real quick, and we'll plug that?
2: Yeah, right now I'm in this um the the hell of editing it, which I didn't really think about that part. <laughs> <laughs> um it should come out in September next year.
1: Great. Everyone, September 2019, buy the book. And then uh, we didn't get into photography. You're an amazing photographer, man, which so. uh, we can see on benfolds.com online. Get your music. You're on Instagram up here, Merkin pianist. Uh, and then of course, I'll keep an eye out for you on the Broadway stage. Yeah, it's going to happen, man. It's got to happen. I'll make one sometime. All right. How do you uh, how do you want everyone to ask you what songs to play? Shout it out paper airplane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, right. those are the three. Oh, wait, you got a, you got an actual paper airplane.
2: Oh. There you go. If it's something yeah. I don't want to play, then that's a... Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I did this whole tour, uh, the paper airplane request tour, and I found two distinct camps. Uh, either they're... Well, maybe three. They're either the songs that everyone knows that are the most popular, which makes sense for a request. Or there's a type where they're trying to fool me and find something on the internet that I wrote when I was 16. That... <laughs> and then, of course, depending on where you play it's a lot of people want to hear Piano Man. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know that song. OK, let's see here. Um, See, I'm trying to remember what 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 I what I was asked for. Okay, yeah. Okay, I know what the three were. Yeah. All right. So, um, this. One. I, I hope I can do this. I, I've just been editing up and in my room all by myself. I hadn't even had to talk to people much less sit down and play music. So let's see what happens. If if, if it's no good, no, I'm sorry.
3: my fault in a way I guess it was it's now finding out what it was all about we moved to the west coast away from everyone she never told me that you called back when I was still I was still in love Till I opened my eyes Walked out the door And the clouds came tumbling down And it's bye bye Goodbye I tried And I just did it wrong Trying to make it right And to leave myself behind I've been flying High all night So come pick She made from nothing So nothing ever made them right And she liked to push me And talk me back down Till I believed I was a crazy one And in a way I guess I was Till I opened my eyes Walked out the door And the clouds came tumbling down And it's Bubba Goodbye, I tried. Chanting the sea, I would trouble mine. I to leave myself behind. Singing, bye bye, goodbye, I tried. If you rub me off, I'd understand it. Cause I've been on some of the planet, so come pick me up, Flandon, and you will be so happy to know. It's over To ring up the telephones, I it's okay to call. I will answer for myself. Come pick me up.
2: Something funny about something funny about playing where no matter which way I look, I see me. <laughs> it's like, and, and then right in front of me, it's like there's a, a screen of, of me now just sort of mocking my looks. All right, I'll try this one. Some, two people asked for it. One I would have ignored, because uh, I, don't, I don't play it that often, and there's a middle part, and I don't know if I can remember it, but we'll find out. I always said, said, I hate when I play with, by the way, with musicians who make disclaimers, and I've made two of them, so I <laughs> smack myself. Mm, good night, good night,
3: good night, sweet baby. The world has more for you. And then it seems good night good night Let the moonlight take the lid off your dream. A small flight in the middle of the night from one tiny place to another near my parents they remained at the shack the glory Me and James Earl John Get mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The lid off your dreams. Thank you.
0: so I, that little,
2: that little riff I, I, I totally screwed up was something that I came up with when I was about 13, and I could do when I was 13. <laughs> My mother had taken me to a, uh, uh, to a piano teacher, she seemed like the fun piano teacher in town. It's like a younger guy who played rock music, and she heard outside the door as I showed him how to do this riff for half an hour, and she fired him. Um, <laughs> but it's this real, it's funny because if anyone plays piano, it involves uh, 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 hitting the same note several times with the same finger, but it's a, uh, God, listen to that, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was doing at 13. and I'm... Okay, anyway. All right, <laughs> next. Thank you. Yeah. And this one, by request as well. And I guess that's the third one. The last one, I'm not going to count the riff. <laughs> Kids, that's for free.
3: <laughs> well, I thought about the Army. That's it, Son, you're so high.
2: Can you say fuck over this? That's good.
3: Well, I thought about the army. That said, son, you're fucking high. And I thought, yeah, there's a first for everything. So I took my old man's advice. Three sad semesters. It was only fifteen grand. Spent in bed. I thought about the army. I dropped out. I joined a band instead. One mustache and a mullet, got a job at Chick-fil-A. Citing artistic differences, the band broke up in May, and in June reformed without me. And they got a different name, I nuked another grandma's apple pie and hung my head in shame. Oh no, I've been thinking a lot today. I've been thinking a lot today. Whoa, he could write a screenplay. Whoa, he could take it to LA. Whoa, he could get it done yesterday. This time of introspection on the eve of my election, I say to my reflection, God please, because my peers, they criticize me, and my ex-wives all despise me, trying to put it all behind me, but my redneck past is slipping at my heels. I've been thinking a lot today, I've been thinking a lot today, I've been thinking a lot today, I thought about all y'all's mommy. Thank you very much.
2: Keep it going! Thank good you. It was wonderful. Thank you very oh, much.
3: good.
1: Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co forward slash talks at Google forward slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more incredible and thought-provoking content, you can always find us online at youtube.com forward slash Talks at Google or via our Twitter handle at Google Talks. Talk soon.